Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Double Down WNBA podcast. My name is Stephen Trinkwald, joined as always by my co-host Eric Nemchok. Eric, how are you today? I am great. Looking forward to talking about the WNBA draft. That's right. Today we're going to uh, record our episode recapping the draft, a, a draft that did not really go as anyone had anticipated. Eric, uh, when did you kind of realize that things were going to go a little haywire? Um, I would say the fourth pick. I would say the, the fourth pick uh, with Indiana picking Kaiser Gondrasek. But it's, you know, Stephen, heading into the draft, I think people were anticipating, one, anticipating trades, which was kind of interesting because it's the only one that was made. And uh, just overall chaos because this was not projected to be as strong of a draft as in years past. And whenever that happens, I mean, there's the draft boards, the mock drafts get blown up pretty quickly. Yeah, so let's get right into it. We can start with Dallas. They they went with uh, Charlie Collier and Owek Kouye. I believe it's pronounced. Uh, sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. I think it's um, queer. Is queer. it queer? They went with the uh, the local kid, Charlie Collier, number one. I mean, let me just ask you straight up: like, did they make the right call? Uh, were were they just kind of playing it safe? You know, placating the fan base, taking the local kid, or is she the the number one prospect available, or at worst, number two? I guess. Yeah. I'm not sure if I would call her the number one prospect available. I, I think that's, that's, that would be queer, actually. But, you know, number two, I think an argument could be made. It's not like they were – it's not like they picked her at number one just because she's a figurehead. You know, Charlie Collier is a really good player. And people need to consider that, for one, she entered the draft a year early. She's a, she was just a junior in college. And she has all, uh, also shown some pretty good development going from her sophomore year to her senior – or her, her junior year, sorry. So – you know, the couple, there are a couple knocks on Collier. One is that she did not play well against bigger opponents in college, which is totally valid. But keep in mind that, for one, Texas, um, they kind of played within a phone booth offensively. Like, there is absolutely no space for her to operate at, at all. And when you, you, when you consider her potential, I mean, she's still six foot five. She's got those long arms. She's got good north-south mobility for a player of that size. And she does have the three-point shot as well, although I think that might be a little overstated. But I'm just curious to see how she's going to operate in space. I think, yeah, she's going to struggle a little bit in her rookie season, but that's not Defensively in space? Is that what you mean? Oh, no, I mean offensively in space. Defensively in space might be a little bit of a problem. Um, I don't think she's as good, uh, like, like, moving left to right as she is, you know, north-south, like going to the basket. But, you know, that's something that pretty much all rookie bigs need to work on. So I think I don't I don't have a problem with the pick. I don't have a problem with the pick. Like I said, it was it, it wasn't a very strong draft. If she wasn't get, gonna get picked number one, you know, she probably would have gone number two. So if it's between a, a a hometown kid, as you alluded to, and an international player, like that's of course nothing against queer or any international player, but the the wings are gonna take the the, the story, you know. So you mentioned like kind of the one I guess prominent storyline with regards to Collier as a, a negative and that's her struggling against bigger opponents uh, against yeah. WNBA competition at the college level outside of the lateral quickness was was there specific areas you think that she needs to improve on to really be able to kind of hang against the best players you know I think Collier plays tall but she doesn't play big if that makes any sense um she's like when when she's going up against opponents who are smaller than her then she has no problem just using her physicality to overpower them but when she's going up against opponents who are like the same size or maybe even bigger then she kind of you know either gets pushed off the block easily gets frustrated um I, I notice sometimes she doesn't rebound out of her out of her zone 
if she's if she's get gets all this big attention on her. So that's going to be something like just keeping that constant energy up. She's not going to be coming in as a player who's going to be touching the ball a billion times a game. I don't even know if she's going to be starting. Like we still don't know that. So I think for Collier right now, the upside is still more enticing than the actual package. But like I said, she's still she still would have been a junior if or she still would have been a senior if she went back to school. So kind of taking that extra year into consideration, I I think she's going to be a good player. Okay. I, I really didn't prepare too much questions in terms of the number two pick, Awaka Queer, just because I feel like she was, you know, who many of us consider to be like the actual number one prospect yeah. in terms of like her, her upside at least, um, shown a, a lot of different perimeter skills, obviously has great size uh, for you know, her, her position and her skill set. Um, any kind of overall thoughts just in terms of like what people who maybe haven't seen her play overseas, like what to expect from her at least kind of early on or, or like a few years down the line once she's had some development time? Yeah, now keep in mind, a quick disclaimer, I'm no international basketball expert either, but from what, from what I saw from Queer, I mean, you are getting a big who is just oozing with potential on both ends of the floor because she does have those long arms, but she's, she moves like a guard. She handles like a guard. She shoots like a guard. She is a very, very, very skilled big, um, which is, in my opinion, what makes her the best prospect in the class overall. Now, she does need to get stronger. If, if you look at her, she's kind of a string bean right now. But like I said, she, she's 19. She's 19 years old. There aren't a lot of well-built, you know, 19-year-old basketball players. So I think for here, like, this is, this is a, a no-brainer pick for me because even if queer as an international player – doesn't come over this year or doesn't come over next year or, you know, that's, that's the thing with international players. You don't know what kind of commitments they're going to have down the road. So it always makes it a little bit more of a risk than drafting a, an NCAA player. But here, like I said, if they have both number one and number two, they couldn't pass on this because she is a tremendous talent who is, you know, if you look at the modern age of basketball, she's, she's going to be the complete package, I think. So we can stick with Dallas before kind of going down the draft board. Um, They, took Chelsea Dungy at number five, a, a pick that was maybe surprising for some. I, I don't think anybody really had Dungy going over Marla Garantis or Renaya Davis. I mean, let, let's just for a second, and we can kind of get into whether you thought this was the right pick for Dallas, but let's pretend Dallas knows what they're doing. Like, make the case for me why this made sense over the two, or, or really the, the couple other wing options that were available to Dallas at the time they made this pick. You know, I... In your notes, you have uh, let's assume what Dallas knows what they're doing or something like that, and and that's 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 funny. But it's I don't a lot hate, to ask for. It is especially from Dallas, but I, I I don't hate this pick to be honest. In fact, I think Dungy is she's going to be one of the prospects in this class whose game translates the quickest to the WNBA level because her game is that of a downhill scorer. Usually, you think of when when players um, struggle to uh, to make that leap from the college game to the WNBA game. It's about it's either the point guards or the bigs, the the ones who are either have to completely overhaul their game or adjust to the speed of the game. You know, you be more of a cerebral type of thing. Dungy, her game is get out, go attack the rim, get to the free throw line about a billion times a game, um, and just play free in space, just score the basketball from all three levels. So in that, I think she's going to be. Um, I, I would actually consider her to be right now, although we don't really know everyone else's situation. I'd, she'd be one of my five picks to be on the all-rookie team because I think her game is – she's got a professional game, and it's going to translate pretty pretty easily, I think. Okay, definitely some encouraging words there. Um, yeah. 
do you think this was the, the best pick at the time? Like, do you agree with Dallas taking Dungy uh, over maybe Davis or, you know, I mean, obviously Garantis is a different case considering how far she fell, but yeah. Davis was still, you know, just taking a couple picks later. There was uh, some other wings taken in the first round as well. Did they make the right choice? I think I would have taken Renaya Davis just because of the, the defense, the defensive potential. I don't think Chelsea Dungy is going to be a, a plus defender at the WNBA level. Renaya Davis is. And when you look at how Dallas's roster is built, we don't know what's going to happen with Mariah Jefferson, but we presume it's going to be difficult for them to get rid of that salary, at least this season. So I don't see how a player like Dungy is going to, I mean, she, like I said, I think she's going to be like in the all rookie consideration because they're just going to need to find playing time for her. But I think a player like Davis would fit better both now and in the future because they kind of need a wing. I mean, they have Kayla Thornton, but eh, you need another wing who can defend and defend up if you will. So like they have plenty of, of, of player of guards who need the ball in their hands with, you know, Ty Harris, Arike, Marina Mabry. Um, and then we can get to Alicia Gray and Dana Evans later, but Dungy, I, I think if they're able to find a fit for, her, I think it'll be good. But looking at the roster, I think I would have gone to Fania Davis because it, just, it just would have been more balanced. Okay. Uh, I mean, is what, what is there really to say about the Evans pick? I think, you know, a lot of people yeah. had Evans going in the back half of the first round, maybe no later than like nine to, to Minnesota when it looked like it was going to, to make it to Dallas. The consensus seems to be that they got a pretty good value at 13. I agree. I agree. That doesn't mean she's going to make the team. I think it'll be difficult for her to make the team. But yeah, whenever you have a player who is favored to go either in the middle of the first round or late first round, you can get her at 13. That's good value, um, especially considering – we could talk about this when, when we get to it, but one of the other big name international prospects, Ileana Rupert was, was already taken the pick before by Vegas. So they didn't really have the option of, of stashing that player. So if you can get a player like Dana Evans of her caliber, great. You know, maybe, maybe something happens. Maybe she's able to get a roster spot. And uh, the thing about her is I'm not entirely shocked that she fell that far because Dana Evans is small and she's not particularly explosive either, which is not, it's not a good combination for, for a WNBA guard. Granted, she can shoot the heck out of the basketball, which is obviously her, her number one strength. But if you're talking about a player who might get kind of get swallowed up in, inside the perimeter by, by larger defenses, I think Dana Evans is at risk of that happening to her. But circling back, she was a first-round talent. She got taken in the early second round, so no qualms. I think Dallas had a good draft, to be honest. Let's, I guess, move on to Atlanta, the number three pick. A, a little bit of a surprise, but, you know, obviously a – board riser uh yeah. tournament sensation what did you think about the number three pick you know I, the fit i don't like it i don't like it at all because i mean we talked well we already talked about when when atlanta signed odyssey sims they've got kennedy carter they've got courtney williams they've got tiffany hayes all three of whom you presume are going to be building blocks for this team then you add in another ball dominant scoring guard and sims and now you bring in another ball-dominant scoring guard in Ari McDonald. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Ari McDonald. She was probably one of my two favorite players from this draft class to watch during college. And that's, that was before the NCAA tournament, which, like you said, obviously affected her draft stock in a very positive way. Um, the thing about her, you know what you're going to get as far as dribble penetration and defense. She's going to affect the game on both ends of the floor, which – for a, for a lottery player, I mean, that's, that's what you want from a lottery player. Granted, her, her shooting, I think she went through a bit of a hot streak during the NCAA tournament. She is still going to get sagged off 
when, when she doesn't have the ball in her hands at the WNBA level, which when you're playing uh, alongside Kennedy Carter, Courtney Williams, or Tiffany Hayes, that's a problem. You know, th- this team needs off-ball gravity, and that's why I'm not really sold on the fit here. Um, is this a situation where a hot tournament kind of overvalued McDonald's prospects as a, a WNBA player? Like, or is she a deserved number three pick? Or, you know, did, did things get maybe a little, you know, the, the storyline maybe take over a little bit? No, I don't think the storyline took over. The, the thing is, Stephen, if you look at the uh, both Indiana and Atlanta at picks three and four, if you look at the team, you're like, well, they don't really need a player like they don't really need a player like Ari McDonald. And I stress the word need, and I'll stress the word fit. But as far as in a vacuum talent, yes, Ari McDonald was absolutely a lottery talent in this class. So maybe this is a case where you just take the best player available and figure out the rest later. Like Sims is on a one-year deal, right? They might look to move Courtney Williams in the future. Hayes is um, up after this year. Hayes is up. That's that's a good point. Hayes is up after the year. So while McDonald, even so, still doesn't solve the problem of not really having a sh- uh, small forward. Like I said, if, if you're presented with this 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 player and you think she is a star caliber player, it's probably okay. Yeah, I, I am always someone who is you know preaching just especially for a rebuilding team, which I think Atlanta still is. You know they sign a, a lot of uh, very talented veterans, of course, that I think they do want to be good as soon as possible, but, you know, their most important player is coming off their rookie season. Um, you know, I, I think a team in this situation, you know, you should usually almost always go for, for best player available, but you already have, I think, in, in my opinion, at least, kind of the number one franchise building block that you're, you know, you weren't going to get a player more valuable than, than Kennedy Carter or with a right. higher upside than Carter. In, in my opinion, uh, at least kind of what, what's been talked about in this draft class, at least. So I definitely understand, you know, the concern of you should definitely do everything you can to maximize Carter's development, which it, it sounds like this isn't really going to to do all that well because no. you know, McDonald doesn't necessarily have that kind of gravity. You know, she's not going to open things up for, for Carter to be able to kind of develop her pick and roll game and, and stuff like that. But maybe this team just needs still like as much young talent as possible and you know, McDonald, of course, can definitely develop into that type of shooter. And, and she's shown uh, some real versatility in with her shot, you know, in the tournament, whether that, you know, remains a consistent part of her game, uh, I guess we'll see. But yeah, you know, I, I, I can definitely see both sides of it here. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, what, I did, what I'd like to go back to that I think tips the scale in Atlanta's favor is, is the defense. Ari McDonald is, was the best on-ball defender in, the, in this draft class, in my opinion. And while she's she's another small guard, I, th- I believe she's also five foot six, like Evans, but she doesn't play like it. You know, she will she will hound the point of attack, and she's really really good off the ball as well. So you don't usually see that from from guards uh, coming in, or, or or I should say, guards who are already carrying the team offensively too. It really just speaks to her motor and her her confidence in herself. She's she's a coach's dream. I'll put it that way. So like there are absolutely no character issues or anything like that. So. Wherever Ari McDonald went, she was going. She was going to succeed. I think she's she's just a player who just has that that it factor. I, I hate to use cliches like that, but in this case, I, I really think it's true. So yeah, I mean, this is. I think this is more of a future pick than it is a, a twenty twenty one pick. As you said, is Atlanta rebuilding? I mean, I don't know because they keep making all these 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 acquisitions in free agency. But there's going to come a point where they need to make decisions on Sim on Sims and Hayes. So having McDonald there is a more than capable fill in right away is, is going to be good for them. Okay. Speaking of future picks, uh, do you have any thoughts on the number 15 pick in the draft Raquel Carrera uh, from Spain? 
Yeah, not many, because like I said, I'm not really an international buff, but her name was one that was dropped uh, plenty of times in any in mock drafts leading up to the the real thing. And I like the strategy here from Atlanta, because if you look at their roster, like, you know, they're not going to, whoever they whoever they picked in the second round probably wasn't going to make the team anyway. So just stash the international talent. Um, she has played well in the, in the international competitions that she's been a part of, and Honestly, I thought there were going to be more international players drafted and drafted earlier, like Carrera. But like I said, it's, it's because of the logic. Like, you know, you're not going to, you know, this player is not going to make the team. Give her another year or two to develop overseas. Maybe you'll stumble into something really, really good. So let's move on to where you had said this uh, draft kind of, where it started to get out of control here. And, and this was a pick that you really did not care for, it sounds like. No, I was, I was confused. I was confused. I think a lot of people were confused by uh, this pick. Kaiser Gondrasek from West Virginia. Um, and here's the thing. I don't, I don't dislike her as a player. I do think she's WNBA caliber. But drafting her at this position when, one, she's probably not the best player available, and two, Indiana just has a glaring need elsewhere, which is perimeter defense, or defense, <laughs> defense anywhere, right? But pr- probably perimeter defense, like on the wing. I, I think it's a reach. I'm not sure what this is, what this does for them. You know, you, you already have um, a guard in Kelsey Mitchell who is, is going to, you know, I don't want to say hog the basketball, but she's going to take a lot of shots and you want Kelsey Mitchell taking a lot of shots. So if you bring in Kaiser Gondrasek, who is a scoring guard herself, I don't know how this, as you like to say, optimizes the rest of the team. Let's just put it that way. We did see some real steps forward from Mitchell last season in terms of her off ball effectiveness you know, coming off uh, screens and stuff like that. It was a lot less of, you know, just kind of running pick and rolls and, and kind of self-creation from Kelsey Mitchell uh, than, than we had seen the, the previous couple of years. So, I mean, like, what, what is Kaiser Gonderzik's, like, ideal role in a WNBA offense? I think she can create – well, Gonderzik, I'd say, is more of a sh- uh, shot creator for herself than for others, although she can pass it a little bit. The thing about her is she, um, she's got a really quick release from the outside. And she's also pretty good at getting out in transition and getting to the rim. Although if the defense is set, like I don't think she's the best decision maker once she gets below the free throw line. I think she, she kind of has some, some of those out of control finish attempts that, you know, don't really do anything for you. The thing is I can see her playing next to Kelsey Mitchell on offense, but the rest of it, I, I mean, you could say that about a lot of players in this class. Oh, they can play next to Kelsey Mitchell on offense, but what does it do for what the team needs? That size and defense on the wing. That's not Kaiser Gondrasek. Granted, she's at 5'9", 5'8", whatever you want to call it. She's got okay size for a lead guard. But defensively, at the point of attack, she's not that good. And on a team that really needed point of attack defense with Kelsey Mitchell and Julia Allemond being one of the worst defensive backcourts in the league last season, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me either. And then you have to think about, well, they could have drafted Renaya Davis. They could have drafted Garantes, but a lot of teams could have drafted Garantes, but I digress. What are you doing at the three then? Are you trusting Vivians to stay healthy? Are you going to play Tiffany Mitchell at the three again? Like, and then you, you brought in Daniel Robinson. You traded for Lindsey Allen. What, what is this? How does this complement what you've already done? You know what I mean? I, I just don't, the pick itself just didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. I definitely understand the sort of perceived lack of vision, you know, in terms of like, what, what are they kind of building here? Um, I do think, you know, Indiana is still at a point where you just kind of collect as, as much high end talent as, as you can, you know, sure. whether, you know, you, you think this particular pick is, 
you know, a top four player in this draft. I, I think that's a different conversation than, you know, they, she doesn't necessarily fit what they have here. Like, I, I don't think they're really in a place to kind of prioritize fit, you know, for a perennial lottery team. <laughs> you know what I mean? I agree. Um, uh, and it sounds but like. was not a top four player in this yeah, class. That, that's I, the thing. Regardless. Um, and they did, of course, move Kennedy Burke as well, traded her to Seattle for Aaliyah Wilson, a player that it sounds like you have a little bit more confidence in defending the point of attack. Yeah, actually, I think that's Aaliyah Wilson's greatest strength as a point of attack defender. The, but this is another weird move because, like, Kennedy Burke is a good defender too. She's a great defender. That's why Kennedy Burke is going to make a basketball team is because of her defense. So I think you kind of traded like a – but she's more of like a wing defender, right? So you, you traded like a wing defender for a point of attack defender. It's like, okay. You know, I was like, is that really the best use of, of that asset? Maybe they didn't want, maybe they didn't think Kennedy Burke was going to make the team. I, I'm not sure. Um, I think Wilson, her defense will translate. She's, she's got that low center of gravity. She's really good at moving her feet. And she came from a good defensive program in Texas A&M. So I think that will translate. Offensively, though, I mean, according to Synergy, her offense in college was almost 50% dribble two-pointers, which is – like that's kind of that's kind of yikes yeah that's that's i i don't like that at all um but granted maybe maybe she's hiding she was a good spot of three-point shooter though so maybe she's hiding a three-point shot that wasn't really emphasized in college i don't know i i think she's got like the pro she's built like a pro but i'm not sure she's going to have a big role on the team i this is just a whatever for me uh and of course you know, Indiana did sign D-Rob to a pretty significant contract for a pretty right. significant year. So I think they at least consider themselves uh, to be set at the kind of their their starting point guard position in terms of don't necessarily agree with that vision, but that's uh, not not my decision to make. <laughs> um, anything else on Indiana or should we move on? You know, I actually really like their second round pick of Unique Thompson. This is a really interesting prospect for me because she played on an absolutely dreadful Auburn team but she still led the nation in offensive rebounding. Like she is a tremendous rebounder, even though she's maybe six, three on a good day. So, you know, when you look at Indiana, they've got a lot of front court players who are, uh, how do I put this? A little stiff and their movement is a little stiff and and like McCown and Cox and maybe at this point in her career, Lavender as well. So to get a really high energy player like Thompson who can do the dirty work for you like that, I think that's a good move. But I'm just really interested to see how she develops. Like I said, she came from a horrible college program where she was still able to really star on that team. So not saying that Indiana is a, is a really good team right now, you know, but if she's with some guards who can create some offense, maybe she'll – I think she's going to make the team, actually. So we'll see what happens with her. I, I really like that pick, though. And, and actually, I have one more thing on Indiana. One oh, more please. thing. Why did they not draft any international players? I'm, I'm not asking you. That's just a rhetorical question. They had five draft picks and they didn't take a single international play. So like they know not all these draftees are going to make the team. Right. I, I don't understand that one. Like you said, they're a rebuilding team. They need to accumulate talent. but how, how do, how do these late third round picks that obviously aren't going to make the team, how does it benefit the team when, you know, it's, it's just a throwaway pick. Well, I, I mean, in, in, in their defense, you know, looking at this roster, they definitely have some spots open, right? If they do. If Vivian's just doesn't have it, you know, Kathleen Doyle, uh, their, their training camp contracts, you know, Julie Alamon potentially not coming over for the entire season. Jessica Breland is on a completely unguaranteed deal. So Lindsay Allen is still on a training camp contract. So they just, maybe they just think like every spot, except for, you know, the three protected veterans and our three kind of young 
core players, you know, that that's only six spots, you know what I mean? So, so maybe pretty much everything else is, is up for competition. That could be. And if that's the case, if they want to, if they want to just run an open camp and, and just have a free for all, that's like, I like Trinity Baptiste in that kind of role. I like, I like Maya Caldwell in that kind of role. Just, just a total knife fight in training camp, you know, that, that's, that's the type of player those, those, those players are, but what's, what's the, what's the long-term plan here? Are we, are we tanking for Ryan Howard? What if, what if you don't win the lottery next year? You know, it's, I got some questions. Let's move on to the Liberty. They okay. took Michaela Onyenwede. How do you kind of like this fit? You know, the Liberty seem to kind of want to play a particular style, you know, five out at times, maybe four out at, at minimum. I think you had mentioned her kind of transitioning from the four to the three at the pro yeah. level, you know, hasn't really shown a reliable three-point game. You know, her overall college numbers, I thought it was interesting, 30% in her college career, but three of her four seasons, she was just a straight 33% shooter. And, you know, her her down junior year, where she was, I think, 25%, really kind of tanked her overall shooting numbers, you know, for her collegiate career. And she does have a really encouraging free throw percentage. So, you like, what position do you see her playing for the Liberty? Do you see her fitting the system? And uh, how do you kind of think her shot will translate? Um, Michaela Onyenwede is a tremendous athlete. Her three-point shot will not be her strength, at least not right away. It's it's something that, like, it, it just really wasn't even a, a consistent part of her game for a couple of seasons in college. And keep in mind, she was she's kind of behind the curve developmentally speaking because she didn't really pick up basketball until uh, later compared to most of these other players. So she has – this is a player who I actually have watched a lot of in college. Her overall skills have, have gotten better year after year. Um, so maybe the, the straight percentages don't tell the entire story, especially cause she was, she moved from the four to the three this past season, kind of it, it, on offense at least. So, you know, for this team, I don't hate it. It's, it's an interesting pick, but you know that New York kind of wants to play some of this positionless stuff. And I think like at, at the very least, she can play the same role that Liana Odom did last season, but with greater offensive upside. You know, I don't think she's going to be this this knockdown three-point shooter, but she is maybe the best pure athlete in the class, and she can play multiple positions theoretically. You know, she's going to be a project. She's not going to, she's not going to get out there and set the world on fire right away. But when you talk about just pure upside, I think Onion Wede has one of the higher upsides in the class. And she also has, you know, I, I, this is, again, something I don't really want to speculate on, but she is, by all accounts, a very, very hard worker and a tremendous character player i think richard cohen uh compared her to like a kayla thornton type of player but a better athlete so in that respect i think i think it's okay i think it's an interesting, an interesting pick maybe not the first one i would have taken for new york but i like it and it's you know worth noting that she is a full two years younger than kaiser gondrasic uh, yes. uh, a full you know year plus younger than chelsea dungy um so you know a little bit maybe more room to develop here uh, for Onion Wede. Given kind of what New York wants to do, do you still kind of see her as a three long-term? Can she maybe hold up at, at the four against maybe some, you know, some of the leagues I, kind of smaller lineups? I think she's a four offensively and a three defensively. I just think she's too, like, they say she's six feet. I, I don't agree with that. Um, I think she's 5'11". But offensively, I think she has the quickness to get past most bigs that she's going to be matching up with. The one concern I have is right now her her go-to offensive move is a turnaround jump shot. Now, this is not an Elena Deladon turnaround jump shot. This is not someone who's six foot five, who, who's whose release point is like seven feet in the air, who just shoots over anybody. 
You know, like if Michaela Onyanwede, she's not going to be able to get that shot off with as much ease as she did in college where she's just jumps over everybody, you know? Um, so I'm really interested to see like what kind of her next move is going to be. I think she's going to be a player who, if, if the Liberty want to keep playing it with pace, I think they will. She's going to be a player who's going to absolutely feast in transition because you got to keep in mind what she's coming from. She was UCLA's go-to player on offense. And as you know, college spacing, maybe not that, not, maybe not that great. So playing alongside a guard, you know, like Sabrina Unescu or alongside a, a, a front court player like Natasha Howard, I think will benefit Onyanwede. Without getting too much into her chances of kind of making the team, we'll maybe discuss that a little bit more on the Liberty episode. Like I think Dee Dee Richards is a player whose strengths and weaknesses seem pretty well documented. Yeah. Um, and another choice that necessarily doesn't really kind of vibe with what the Liberty want to do in terms of their five out system, you know, a player who just didn't shoot threes in her college career. She attempted one three pointer in college. Is she someone who can like run the the offense and, you know, since she won't be guarded off the ball, like she, she'll have to kind of handle maybe playmaking responsibilities. Is, is that really in her wheelhouse? Can she do that at the pro level? You know, okay. So here's the thing about Dee Dee Richards. She was moved from the wing to the point this season at Baylor and she performed admirably in the role, having not like really been a, a full-time ball handler in the past. But two things. One, Baylor, like I, I brought up college spacing a bunch before, like they had maybe one consistent three-point shooter all season in Dijon Carrington. The rest, it was all inside the perimeter. It was honestly pretty painful to watch from for a professional basketball fan. But Dee Dee Richards will not help that. Like you talk about she didn't take any threes. She barely took any mid-range shots. Like she barely even looked at the basket. And that's going to be a problem in the WNBA. You know, that's that you, you can't, a, a player of that archetype, just you need to be really, really, really good at like literally everything else in order to, in order to succeed at the professional level. Um, granted, Dee Dee Richards is a tremendous defensive player. And I think she's also, she's a big guard. She's like six foot, six foot one. So making those passes, she can see the passing lanes, or see opportunities that maybe some smaller guards can't. But like you said, ah, I, I just don't, see how this fits with New York with what New York wants to do what and, makes me I wonder if Asia Durr is going to be going to be healthy enough to play this season because if she is it's like whatever then your guard rotation is probably set if she's not or if Johannes comes over or if Johannes comes over right we can't forget about that I, I just don't see how Dee Richards because like you know you want to play with with pace and with space so you draft a player who does not shoot the ball it, that doesn't make any sense to me but we'll see can can she provide offensive value in other ways? Like uh, oh yeah, like absolutely yeah. Like I she said, like, she's yeah, she's a good, she a good passer. Cutter? Cutting, I'm not sure. Like I said, that's hard to evaluate because, like I said, um, Baylor like plays exclusively within the paint. Like all their players, it's just just a party in the paint. So like those op- those it, there wasn't a lot of space for her to cut. Maybe she could. I mean, I mean, she's got that long frame and and she moves pretty well. So that could be an option for her. I just. I need to see there, there just were not a lot of promising signs at Baylor in regards to her professional offensive prospects, at least. So we can move on to LA, the number seven pick. They of course uh, traded up to this pick just a, a couple of days prior traded their 2022 first round pick to move up to, or to not move up to acquire this pick. They still held on to their, their own first round pick. Of course. Why was Jasmine Walker the, the choice over Renaya Davis here? So I think Jasmine Walker is a very pro-ready player. Um, she's a very steady, even-keeled. You know, she she had a she was Alabama's go-to option in college. She played a ton of minutes, but she wasn't a very high usage player. And that's I know that sounds kind of interesting, but she's a combo forward. So I think she's like six two, six three. 
she's got the size of a four, but she moves like a three. So it's it's an intriguing um, physical, like a physical archetype. And she's obviously a really good three point shooter. Like her spot up, she's got an absolutely gorgeous shooting form. She makes threes at a at a very respectable clip. I think she was like almost forty percent as a senior. Um, and that's just a player who I think just fits with what LA wants to do. She's not like defensively. I'm not sure what she's going to defend yet. Yeah, I was going to ask. Like, I'm based not on that build. Like, which, yeah, which player does she defend? I don't know if she's going to be. I'd say defensively, she's more of a four right now. Um, I don't think she's got the speed to keep up with threes laterally. But offensively, like you could play her at the four or the three, and just like if anything else, just park her in the corner, and and she's going to shoot forty percent from there. So that's that's pretty good. Now, off like as an upside. I'm not sure if her ceiling is that high, but if, if, you know, you're in the situation like LA, if you consider it, okay, they, they lost Parker, they lost gray there. They're not rebuilding, but they, they, they're making a big change here. They're, they're they they retooled, right? They, they retooled. still brought in veterans. Like they want to compete. Right. So having a player who you know what you're going to get from in Jasmine Walker, I think that's, that's a benefit. Um, is she going to be a huge, like, is she going to play a huge role for them? No, I don't think so. But she's, she's dependable if, if that's, if that's a word for it. Okay. Is this just kind of more about like immediate impact? Like someone who can yeah. come in, knock down shots and not get completely ignored defensively? I would say so. Yeah. That's, that's, that's very succinctly put. Um, knock down shots, play either forward position, not get completely ignored. She's not going to be playing huge minutes. I don't think unless something goes wrong for them. So, you know, I, I think she's a good fit next to both Ogumake's. So that's, I like the pick. Okay. It's not, it's not a pick that's going to blow you away, but it's, it's, it's a good one for where they're at. I think. Is she the type of player where you, you know, give up your first for next season to. Uh, that's a good question. That's a good question. Cause next year's draft class is pretty good. You know, I'll counter your question with a question of my own. Was she their first, was she their number one choice at number seven? Like was, was she there? Cause I thought they were going to go with Chelsea Dungy if she was still on the board, but she wasn't. So. Uh, is is LA what war is LA going to finish you know I mean they're not a clear lottery team but they're not like a clear top four team either so uh, I think the jury is still out on that yeah for me it, it seems you know anywhere I would lead no I would lead no at the moment but we'll yeah. see uh, it's it's up in the air so you're you're kind of risking losing a potential lottery pick for this this draft pick here exactly yeah. who seems like uh you know a nice kind of role player and yeah. someone that can play for you for a, a long time, but isn't really going to change your fortune in any way. That's yes. Correct. That's, I would agree with that. Uh, so let's move on to the, your beloved Chicago sky with the number eight pick. Oh, oh actually, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, let's not move on to the Chicago sky with the number <laughs> eight pick. Let's talk about Stephanie Watts, a player who I was wholly unfamiliar with. Yeah. Stephanie Watts. She, she's a player like you look at it and you're like, wow, she really looks like a pro. And then she shoots like three for 14. And it and then it's like, well, okay, what happened? Um, she like she had this really awful uh, stretch of games where she like didn't make any shots this this past season. But if you look at her her, her build, she kind of reminds me. Uh, she kind of reminds me of Brittany Sykes. You know, she's really strong, really explosive athlete. Can theoretically score both inside and out, but she's just very streaky at it. Um, I, I think as a defender, she's she's actually going to be she's could play in an aggressive defensive scheme because she's. She's got that, um, that, that, that quick first step, you know, when she's jumping the passing lanes, she can create opportunities from her defense. So she's actually a player who I could see being like a better pro than a collegiate player. It doesn't really happen that often, but she might've just been kind of lost in the college game. Uh, she can, like I said, get hot 
from three, which it can also get very cold and just like shoot you out of games. So establishing that consistent off-ball gravity is going to be key for her. This is a pick a lot of people didn't really understand. I maybe didn't either at the time. But like I said, I don't think she's going to get totally played off the floor. Like I think she, I think she is a WNBA caliber athlete. The question is, can she just get that three-point shot to fall consistently? Yeah, it sounds like you've come around on it at least a little bit. I have. Um, yeah, you know, when in the heat of the moment, you know, like when you're expecting something to happen, like – and, and something completely like, like I had Stephanie Watts, like late second round, I think, where she would have been a really good value for the pick, you know, but with LA potentially reaching for, her, I was like, Whoa, like, what are they doing? Like what? But then you look at their situation. It's like, eh, could have been worse. Like it, it, it was okay. Speaking of late second round, the yes. number 22 pick in the draft, Arella Garantes, uh, the player who a lot of people kind of pegged as, you know, the, the pure scorer in yes. this class, uh, a fall that, I don't think anybody saw coming, you know, everyone, um, I've, I think every fan base was, just, you know, as their pick in the second round came up was hoping that, you know, mm-hmm. they would be the team that took the quote unquote flyer on um, the falling expected lottery pick. Uh, what happened, Eric? I wish I knew. I wish I knew because if, if, if you're looking at, at Garantes from a purely a talent perspective, she is no worse than top six in this class. She is a tremendously talented individual scorer her playmaking ability is is seriously slept on and off ball defense like eyeball defense i think she's she's she could use some work but off ball defense she has experienced playing in a defensive minded system for Rutgers that, that likes to create havoc on defense so the only thing i can say is she got red flag somehow whether it be you know uh, her something with a physical or like, you know, teams conduct interviews with, with these players pre-draft. Maybe they didn't like what, what, what she told them or something like that. I don't know. But that's like basically the only thing I could think of. Okay, maybe her dropping out of the lottery or dropping out of the top six is a little weird. But her dropping all the way to 24, I, I was... 22. 22. Well, same difference, basically. But, but same, like, same idea. Like, I was stunned, you know? Like I said, from pure talent... I, I don't understand it at all. And looking at everyone else who made a mock draft, pretty much everyone else who made a mock draft, they don't understand it at all either. So, but I mean, now it's like, look at the team she's on. They already have a lot of options on the wing. And we can talk about this more when we dive into our, our LA outlook, but they drafted two, two and a half wings and, and, and Walker and, and Watts. They've got to make decisions on what? TRP, Bria Holmes, Simone Augustus, Sydney Wheat. Like there's a lot going on there. So, yeah, it's a steal at, at, at 22, but is Garantes going to make this team? I, I don't know. Very interesting. Very, very – I'm really interested to see if anything comes out about this because this was the shocker of the draft. So, at this point, I think we are safe to move on to okay. Chicago at number eight. I know you were leading into the draft, like, really kind of hoping that – kind of having an understanding that McDonald probably wasn't going to uh, make it to number eight, really hoping for Dana Evans. And, and then when, when Dana Evans wasn't the pick, I, I think you were, like, Cool. That that's great. Yeah. Uh, so, um, what what do you think about Heal and compared to to Evans, who was still available and end up going, you know, a handful of picks later? Uh, for for Heal, you know, this is another case of of an international player who, again, I I profess my ignorance of like I, I don't really I didn't really know much about her. The thing that I do know is one, the Chicago Sky needed a point guard. That was blindingly obvious. James Wade made no secret of that heading into the draft. He said, okay, we've got, we've got it narrowed down to about five players and we're just going to take the best one. Um, 
so him coming to heel ahead of Evans and ahead of Keanu Williams makes me think that, okay, he saw something in her that he really, really likes. And that is I, I, what I believe her professional experience. You know, she's really, really young, but I know you watched some of the highlights from the WNBL this, this, this past season. She's already a pro, you know, who is, is experienced competing against professional players. You know, she competed against Leilani Mitchell. She competed against Liz Cambage, Ezzie Magwiger, names that you're very familiar with playing in the WNBA already. If you, you ask any, anyone who's familiar with Australian basketball, they'll say, Shiloh Hill is the next big thing. So when you think of a player who, you know, Wade, Wade was looking for a player who could come in and play significant minutes. We didn't want, we don't want any of this like, okay, we'll point Gabby or, you know, we'll, 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 sign, we'll just sign somebody or we'll have Ali Quigley play back. No, they wanted a point guard who could come in and contribute immediately. And knowing that James Wade coaches overseas, um, his, his wife, Edwidge is a, uh, I believe she's the, the president or general manager or something of, of a, a French overseas club, um, Montpellier. That's, that's, that's the club she's, she leads. She's got that overseas experience as well. Like I believe she's no, the general manager. General manager, yeah. She's um, like, like they're no strangers to, to international basketball talent. So I'm kind of giving them the benefit of a doubt here. But Heal definitely has more experience running a professional offense than Dana Evans or than Keanu Williams. So if by that alone, I'm, I'm happy with the pick. Yeah, and I, I have watched a couple of her games uh, in full so far. And, you know, it's so much more pleasant watching scouting international players than uh, college players, you know, because they're playing with other professional players and there's, you know, professional spacing and, and professional teammates. And it just makes uh, a much more aesthetically pleasing yes. game. And Shiloh Hill is just, you know, you, you can kind of see it already. Uh, there are definitely some questions about her game and, and uh, we can kind of get into that really in, in depth when we do our Chicago Sky preview episode. But it seems like this is a little bit I feel like Chicago got kind of both sides of it, right? They got the higher upside play in someone who is three years younger than Evans and yeah. um, has maybe a higher ceiling, but also is maybe still ready to contribute right now, at least in the regular season in terms of they, you know, she's had, Shiley Hill has had success playing against professional players, uh, as you had pointed out in Australia. So, you know, someone who can still make an immediate contribution, you know, we'll see if she can kind of do that in the playoffs, which maybe they won't even need, you know, it's not like they'll, they'll need her to, they're not going to lean on her in any way. You know, she's mm-hmm. just going to have to kind of soak up those, you know, six minutes a game in the playoffs that Courtney Vandersloot is, isn't going to play. But so they don't have that kind of, you know, 30 point differential when Vandersloot's <laughs> sitting, right. uh, you know, in the regular season, I think is, is going to be obviously really huge. And that's kind of the one thing they were going for here. So um, they also took Natasha Mack in the second round. One thing I wanted to kind of ask you is like, what separated Natasha Mack from like, the, the Colliers and the Queers of the, the first round, you know, that kind of topped tier of yeah. bigs in this class. So this is an interesting class for bigs because Collier and Queer were like the, clearly the two best bigs. And then there was Max somewhere like in the middle. And then it was just like nothing. It, it was just like very, very typical bigs, you know, back to the basket, 15 feet and in like rebounding special, like, like not much else. So Mac, I'm not really sure why she fell that far. Um, if you look at her statistical profile, she is a beast of a defensive playmaker. And, you know, I think it's funny, like people became aware of, of the Dallas wings, uh, website making like these, these really, uh, really optimistic, uh, comparisons for, for players in this class. Like, oh yeah, Charlie Collier is like the next Candace Parker or something like weird stuff like that. Um, they did get one pretty close and that was comparing Natasha Mack to Natasha Howard. 
not because they're both lanky frontcourt players whose names are Natasha, but because they're both lanky frontcourt players who make a really big defensive impact. Um, she's got those really long arms. I think her wingspan is like 6'10", 6'11", something like that. Um, and she's one of those bigs who just can rise up and fire over, over most of her competition because she, she gets off the floor really quickly, you know? Going back to your question, what separates her from the... Well, can, can I ask you real quick, like, uh, yeah. in terms of the Natasha Howard comparison, like, does Mac have that type of, I guess, like, perimeter defensive ability? Can she kind no. of move with the perimeter players, or is she more like a paint-bound defensive player? No, if, if she really was the next Natasha Howard, she would not have fallen to 16, I don't think. Uh, so she, she is paint-bound, as you said. She's like Natasha Howard light. And the other thing is, she was almost strictly a post-up player in college, rather than a player like Howard who can play both inside and out offensively. But going back to your initial question, like, like what separates her from Collier and Queer? I think for one, she has kind of an interesting story. She played at a junior college her first two seasons um, of eligibility, completely dominated, like completely obliterated everybody. And then she went to Oklahoma State for her junior and senior seasons. I am not familiar with like recruiting or anything like that. So I don't know how much of an impact that plays in professional scouting. Like for me, like I'm a bit of a novice at this, but like, is it naive to say like, well, she, she was amazing in the big 12 too. So like, why does junior college matter? Like, that was just my, that's just my take. Maybe that's stupid. But the other thing is, I think she could be like for a player of her archetype, you'd expect her to be a little more physical on offense. The majority of her, like her shots are like short turnaround jumpers, kind of like finesse finishes around the rim where a player who you'd expect to be that physically dominant on defense like you'd think she'd be, you know, drawing fouls like crazy or, or, or finishing strong at the hoop or, or something like that. It's kind of a weird dichotomy between her, her defensive aggressiveness and her offensive, you know, like I said, finesse game. And the thing about that is she has a finesse game on offense, but she doesn't really have a jump shot like outside of the paint. So she's paint bound, but what, what, what's a more, what's, what's, what's a, what's a, a better term for like soft? Cause she's not soft, but like I said, like finesse. Just yeah, she's finesse not really her. drawing fouls. Yeah, not really. Not, she doesn't have a, a, a foul, foul drawing friendly. That's that's not a right way to say it, but she just doesn't draw a lot of fouls for a player of her archetype, and I think that scared teams off. And maybe her mechanics as, as a defensive player, like she's probably going to foul a lot herself as she adjusted the speed of the game, um, where she's not a step ahead on every play, where she can't just rely on her length to bail her out for everything. But that, I think, is a little overstated because when you're talking about front court prospects. I mean, that most of the, most bigs have that problem coming into WNBA. So that I'm not so concerned about as a sky fan. I'm really happy with the pick because clearly the best player available and you don't really know, like for instance, well, it, was she the, clearly the best player available with Granta still on the board? Well, I mean, for Chicago's, for Chicago's purposes, like for Chicago, who already has, you know, Quigley, Copper, DeShields, Gabby Williams, maybe I say maybe on the perimeter. Like, I don't know if Grantis would have fit there either. And seeing as how, seeing, how far Garantes fell, like there's probably something there that there's probably a reason why. Whereas Mac, I think it teams might've been scared away by a couple things, but I don't think her physical talent is in question. I think she'd fit well in Chicago if she does make the team. Okay. Uh, friend of the show, Peter Kilkelly, five out basketball. He had Mac ranked uh, as his second ranked prospect, largely based on Mac's defensive potential. Okay. I think, you know, he kind of highlighted her as, you know, defensive player of the year potential. Do you see like all wow. defensive, all defense potential here, or just kind of like a really solid center def- defender? I, I don't, I, I don't know if I'd go as far as to say all, all defense potential or defensive player of the year. That's, 
that's pretty good. That's that's pretty darn good. I think solid defensive player would be good. Like just somebody who, who who makes plays on defense in the front court. She can probably be part of a very aggressive defensive scheme just because of her length and because of her, like, it's not that she was, if, if you look, if you're able to see her, her defensive uh, mixtape, it's not just her stuffing people at the rim. It's her, you know, kind of getting her hand in there and, and like, like, like swiping passes away or getting the blocks that aren't, aren't, that aren't like volleyball spikes, but just getting a finger on a basketball to disrupt a, or a shot or to make it awkward or something like that. Um, and she's also a, a very good rebounder as well. So I think his assessment is based largely on defensive potential, but I mean, aren't they all? So I would say def- solid. I mean, I think, I think her defensive game is farther along than her offensive game. We'll put it that way. Yeah, sure. Uh, and I definitely look forward to talking more about Natasha Mack kind of in the context of like the rest of the sky roster. And they, they definitely have some bigs, I think competing for spots at, at this point now with, yeah. with Mack and Hebert and a student do, and, and we'll kind of uh, get into that in, in our next episode here. Um, but I guess, you know, the one thing, other thing we should talk about with Chicago, as it relates to the draft, there was a report right before the draft started that Chicago was kind of uh, shopping around Gabby Williams. Any ideas what they were kind of looking for, for in a return? And I know there was a report that she would report late to training camp as well. So I don't yes. know if that has anything to do with it. But what what were your kind of thoughts on that? Okay, so that was interesting. That kind of fell out of that, that kind of fell out of the air. And for context, she was um, she was she's part of the French national team now, which is I think is really dope. Great for her. But now that she's got that international status, we don't really know. Like, is she going to report to the team on time? Is she going to report to the team at all? It's you don't know. I can't say what they were looking for in return for her. I would guess like a 2022 asset. The, the report did say they had multiple offers in place. You know, I don't know if that's just for confidentiality reasons or, or not. But if you look at the Sky's contract situation, Gabby Williams is a restricted free agent next year. So is Diamond Shields. Kalia Copper is unrestricted. Stephanie Dolson is unrestricted. Courtney Brandeswood and Allie Quigley are both unrestricted. That's a lot of money coming off the books and a lot of money you'd like to keep in the organization. And honestly, if, if you were to say, you know, we, we got to resign all these players, who's the first, who's, who's the first to go if we can't pony up? It's probably Gabby Williams, you know, or, or Stephanie Dolson, but that's, that's unrestricted free agency. So maybe it was trying to like, if it's a combination of a player who's, who you need to get, who you're going to need to pay the next off season. Plus you don't even know if she's going to play this season. I would look into trading her too. That's, that's just the bottom line. But I don't, to your question, I don't know who they could have gotten for. Who do you think they could have gotten for? I, I have no idea. I, and I have no idea how to gauge the trade market, especially for a player like Gabby Williams, who has such a specific kind of mm-hmm. set of strengths and weaknesses. Um, and obviously has just been killing her with her international club, one defensive player of the year over there. So, you know, it's, uh, I, I don't think she's going to kind of put up that same production that she right. has been overseas, but um, you know, I've, I've been wrong about Gabby Williams before. So uh, <laughs> I guess we can, we can move on to, Minnesota here. Renaya Davis was taken ninth. Uh, everybody kind of lost their mind. Um, uh, I don't know. You know, I, I don't really think Davis will kind of be in serious rookie of the year consideration. Um, no. You know, just in terms of like playing time, even uh, uh, and kind of you know what people usually look like in terms of like uh, what skill set you know you're even looking for from a, a rookie of the year. But it does seem like you know they took best player available despite. Uh, a roster, a bit of a roster crunch, at least. Um, how do you see D- 
Davis fitting into this roster, a roster that seems like it kind of has a lot of its pieces, at least for the next two to three years in place. Um, Where, where, where does she kind of get her playing time? I guess. Uh, This season, I don't know. This season, I don't know because they've already got a lot going on. They've got what they've got Carlton, who you assume they're going to bring back Xander Lassini. If she, if she uh, reports, um, and then of course, Bannum, McBride, the, two of their biggest free agent acquisitions are wings. So I don't know if Renan Davis is going to play a lot right away. I do think this is just a, a case of Shory saying, well, we didn't think this player would get that far, but uh, let's just take her, you know, best player available. Really, really big upside, particularly, particularly on defense. Renan Davis is a player who, Stephen, I think she would fit nicely in a small ball system. We talked in our Minnesota Lynx outlook about, are they going to keep playing small ball? She is a player who can definitely defend up. She's a huge wing. She's like six foot three, but she moves like a guard. So that's, that's, that's a really good thing. That, there, there aren't a lot of players like that, at least defensively. So I agree that she's not going to be like in the rookie of the year consideration now because there's just not enough minutes to go around. But when it comes time to make a decision, like if Zandalassini doesn't show up or, you know, if, if something happens with, with Don, if Dantas doesn't show up even, you know, next season or, or however her international status, Davis is going to be a contributor. So, I mean, we've seen Cheryl Reeve take, take players in the previous few drafts who she didn't think would be there at that respective pick and turn them into rookies of the year. I don't think that's going to happen with Renaya this year, but it's another case of a really sharp GM and a really sharp coach taking a swing on a, on the best player available who she didn't think would be there. Yeah. And maybe and, they can just use this as, you know, a red shirt season for, yeah, just really get some great uh, development. Like, you know, as we said, they have a ton of depth at the three and the four and, and those seem to be like Davis's pro positions, right? Either the three right. or the four. Right. So, you know, Minnesota is not going to be starved for kind of fitting in some people for playing time there. Um, you so know, I you, wonder, Stephen, okay. I wonder, Reeve did say she had a play, a, a trade in place for number nine. If, uh, you know, before she saw what, what she saw, of course she didn't go into specifics, but I think we can allude to, you know, four through six kind of going the way it did. Do you think that might've been a trade for Gabby Williams? It could have been. I mean, I don't, I don't really, I mean, they need like a backup point guard, which was not really addressed in this draft is something that I think we had both maybe thought might get addressed with uh, in this draft. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess that's, I don't really, you know, point Gabby hasn't really worked out too well. Right. I'm just trying to put two and two together here, you know, cause we know this guy had a trade in place. We know the links had a trade in place. So I'm just speculating, just, just throwing things out there. Uh, so I guess while, while we kind of brought it up, like, do you think, you know, given kind of what the links want to, to do in their aspirations for the next couple of years, like, should they have gone with, I guess, like a potentially like lower end prospect or, or lower upside prospect in a Dana Evans, someone who can be a backup point guard for this team, or are they still right in just kind of taking the best player available, uh, particularly when it's someone who is, you know, kind of categorized as a potential lottery pick? Yeah, I think they made the right decision. You know, a backup point guard, keep in mind, Stephen, there's, we still have training camp to go. There are still a lot of players who um, are not going to make teams not because of their talent, but because there's no space on, on rosters or on, on books. So I think, I think Reeve just might be scouting the waiver wire right now for another backup point guard. Um, and it, it says a lot to me that she had a, a trade in place for number nine until Renaya Davis fell to them, because that does say that she wasn't interested in Dana Evans at all. And she wasn't interested in Keanu Williams at all. So that, that I think suggests to, to me that, you know, they're not, 
really seen, at least by Reeve, as a as a WNBA caliber point guard. Yeah, and maybe with um, Dana Evans ending up in Dallas, one of those, uh, you know, Mariah Jefferson or yeah. Marina Mabry will become available after training camp. Um, good point, good point. Uh, I guess we could talk about Vegas now, who had uh, two selections in a span of three picks. They had 12 and 14. They uh, To end the first round, they went with uh, Ileana Rupert out of France and then Destiny Slocum. Um, with number 14, the second pick in the, the second round. Do you expect Repair to come over? I mean, they're not going to be able to roster both of these players, so Repair kind of seems like the obvious draft and stash selection, yeah. right? Right, yeah. And, uh, you know, if, if there are questions, keep in mind, um, this is just, I don't have any sources. I, don't, I didn't do any research on this, but if Gabby Williams is now part of the French team and her status is in the air, Repair's status is in the air too, you know? So, yeah, draft and stash is obvious, I think. And it seems like of the three first round selections, you know, international selections, you know, she kind of has the furthest to go to be a positive WNBA contributor, at least kind of from what I've heard. Obviously, I haven't broken yeah. down a ton of Ileana repair tape, but yeah, you know, she won back to back Euro League, or maybe not back to back, but she, she won two uh, Young Player of the Year awards in Euro League women. Now, granted, I have absolutely no clue who votes for that or what goes into that award, but that's a very prestigious, you know, international basketball competition. And it, it shows that, you know, she is not some, she's not someone who just burst onto the scene. She has been making, she's had success at every level up until now. She's been making her way up the ranks. And she is a player who, assuming from her, her, her question marks playing in the WNBA, um, or at least her international status, that she's a player who France will be leaning on heavily in the future to become a, a, a pillar of their national program. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think... Like I said, it, it's hard to evaluate players like that who don't, who aren't OAC queer, right? But she's, from what from what I understand, a player who doesn't really need the ball in her hands to be effective. She's just good at being big, and that's that's what Billy Envier likes. So a worthy stash at, at, at pick number twelve, I'd say. Slocum, it looks like has uh, you know the inside track to make the team. I imagine mm-hmm. she she makes this roster. Uh, is she? I don't know much about her game. Like, is she? what you would expect Bill Lambier to take with this pick? Yeah. I mean, she's not a huge point because, you know, Bill loves his big guards. That's, 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 that's the story, but there aren't really a lot of big guards available. So Slocum. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't say no part of Slocum's game really stands out to me. She can shoot and she can create shots for herself. Sometimes I'm not sure about her being a shot creator for others, but if you look at this roster, I mean, well, shoot, you, you, you've got, you're going to be playing almost exclusively through the, through the post anyway. And Plum might just be the backup point guard on this team, you know? So if Slocum plays, it won't be for very long. Um, I, I'm kind of wondering what this means. Like, is, is a backup point guard, is that what they should have done here? Or should they have gone with another wing? And for new listeners, Eric doesn't expect Kelsey Plum to come off the bench, but just that Chelsea Gray and Kelsey Plum will get staggered. Right. That they will, one of those two players will be on the court at all times. Exactly. So that's kind of what he meant by backup point guard. Um, I know these kind of transactional shows typically get a little bit more listenership than our kind of regular team breakdowns or game breakdowns. So just wanted to clarify what, what you meant there. Anything else with, with Vegas? Or I guess we can kind of talk about. Uh, no, not really. Um, oh, you, you did have a question. Like, why do they take repair at 12 rather than 14, right? Well, I, I had reached out to our friend of the show, Gabe Ibrahim, to see if there's maybe like a, a CBA nuance that I wasn't aware uh-huh. of that maybe, you know, might, I guess, benefit them from having their draft and stash in the first round rather than the second round. And Gabe didn't really have anything there uh, except for that, you know, 
Dallas with their roster crunch probably was yes eyeing repair, which you know something we talked about when they had exactly. for first round picks. I had mentioned you know maybe they'll just kind of reach for this player at seven, but you know Vegas made sure that they couldn't take her at thirteen. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You know, there is a little bit of a salary difference between a late first and an early second round pick, but it's for them it's negligible. I it's believe. like $3,000. So, yeah, yeah. It's not so, going to make them have a 12, like be available to like take a 12th player in, into the season this year. So, sure. So, yeah, that, I mean, that's what Gabe said is, is what I was going to say. Like, they just took her so Dallas wouldn't be able to. Because I think Dallas at 13, they've got that roster crunch, as you alluded to. So, if Rupert was there at 13th, I definitely think Dallas would have taken her. So I guess we should talk about Seattle. They did make a first round pick that was later traded. I don't know. Was there any clarification as to whether they made that pick on behalf of Indiana or if no, Indiana I, just wanted to make that trade after it was available for them? I'm pretty sure. Well, I'm just guessing, but I think they made it on behalf of Indiana because, well, Indiana has been doing things a little differently these days. Right. <laughs> and um, you know, a player like Aaliyah Wilson, like I wouldn't have taken her this high. I would not have taken her this high, but I don't get paid to do this. So I, I don't know. Um, interesting move though. Interesting move. Cause they didn't really get, I thought they would, I thought they would have gone point guard here, but looking at who they brought into camp, I mean, they were still able to get Keanu Williams at number 18, which I think was great. Cause that's why I, who I would have had them taking at 11. Right. So all's well that ends well. And they were able to get a player in Kennedy Burke who were both big fans of her defense on the wing. And they lost a lot of defense in the off season, a lot. Granted, I don't think Burke is a game changer on that end, like Howard and Clark are, but you need someone out there who you can throw at the, at opposing wings and, and defend them. So I think it was good business. Do you? I do. And for Seattle, you know, they they should be kind of getting as many options to to fill in at the three as they can. And she can play a little bit of small ball four as well, Burke. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, don't want, really want to go into like the camp battles and, and kind of who we prefer at the three for Seattle at, at this point yet uh, with this additional option. But for them to still be able to get the player that was kind of, you know, expected they would take at 18 and also turn 11 into something that I think is a pretty intriguing uh, piece of their roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, overall for Williams, like, do, do you like her game? Like in terms of comparing her to the other point guard prospects in this class, do you think maybe they should have just taken Evans at 11 mm-hmm. and, and had that be their, you know, the, the point guard that they're bringing in or, uh, no, maybe was there another player at 18 that you think they should have won with? No, I think Keanu Williams is a sharp pick here. I'm not sure what her pro prospects are like. When when you got later into the into the NCAA tournament, it seemed like she had trouble beating uh, players off the dribble, which is is not a good sign. I think her game is probably the most well rounded of, of of like the point guard options. Um, she obviously came from a, a terrific program in, in Stanford under an amazing all time legendary coach in Tara Vanderveer which for a point guard in particular, I don't think you can discount that. Will she make the team though? Hmm. Not sure. Not sure. I don't know what her ceiling, I don't know what her ceiling looks like. Cause she's, she's small ish. She doesn't have big strength. She's a good shooter, but not a great shooter. Like she can create shots with more for herself. I, I think it's a good opportunity for her to come into a loaded training camp and just learning behind one of the game's all time greats in Sue Bird. Uh, I don't think she's going to be a major contributor though, if she does make the team. I am not sure I agree with you only because like they they're gonna like not play super 32 games this season I think it's almost a guarantee and you know unless Epiphany Prince is going to be their backup point guard in those other games like Jordan Canada is right now the only other point guard on roster so I think she has a pretty good chance um, you know depending on kind of who comes over obviously there's a lot in question for Seattle right now in terms of having a lot of international players 
So, I mean, I, I don't know her game that well. Uh, I, the concerns that I've read about her game are, are pretty concerning in terms of what you had just mentioned, you know, not being able to really get deep penetration, get by her defender. Uh, I think that's, you know, not great. Uh, something to definitely no. be concerned about. But, you know, what, what else do they have as a, a point guard for when Sue Bird isn't available? Yeah, and you said you didn't want to get into the, into the training camp battles here. But, I mean, that, that is, for, for this team, almost more than any other. And like you said, you got Prince. Um, is, is Talbot playing? Is, is Laxa playing? Is, uh, is, is Magwigger going to play? It's, th- those are three huge decisions already. So those could make or break Williams' chances through, through no fault of her own. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I, I think Laxa, I think, is one player that I think has some skepticism around it if she's even a mm-hmm. WNBA player. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, did you want to talk about Seattle's uh, other second-round pick? Uh, is it India Jones? India Jones. Yeah. You know, India Jones, I really, really liked her in college. Um, she is a player. She's a player who's going to give a lot of energy. You know, she's, I don't want to say she's a typical Polish player, but I mean, if you look at her game, that's, that's what she is. She's, she's going to go after the glass. She's going to play really good defense. She's, she's one of the better front court players uh, in this class at defending within a scheme. Like she's not going to block a ton of shots or take a, take a ton of charges, but her positional defense is really good. And I think her basketball IQ is really high. Unfortunately for her, like this is not a team <laughs> for a front court player uh, to make a roster spot, to get a roster spot with them already having theoretically playing big with Candice Dupree and Brianna Stewart. So I think she, she's a player who I think is going to play on the WNBA team later, just not this one. The main concern I have about her is she doesn't really have a go-to post move. So offensively, it's just pure like just drop steps and, and energy and offensive putbacks. Granted, she is pretty good at getting out in transition, which is obviously a great thing for a, a front court player to have. But again, the ceiling, I'm I'm not sure. I love I love Nadia Jones as a Nadia Jones as a college player. Not sure what her her pro ceiling looks like. And I think the final team we can get to here, uh, Connecticut, they had consecutive second round picks. Very unlikely that both of these players make the roster, I would imagine, but I think you really like at least one of their chances, if not both of them, to, to make the roster. Yeah, I think Connecticut low-key had an amazing draft. It's not, it's, not, it's not an exciting draft because when your first pick is like late in the second round, it's, it's not very exciting. But given their roster and their cap situation heading in, it was unlikely that they could take, take a big swing in the draft. And looking at who they drafted, they hit on all their needs. Dijanae Carrington, I think, may be the best perimeter defender in this class. She's a big wing. She is a really, really, really good pick and roll defender. As far as offense, it comes and goes. Like she, the problem with her is, as a pro prospect, which might have scared some teams off, she's had, I believe, three knee procedures heading into the draft. Not great. And she's just not that explosive off the bounce. But Do you know the specifics of those procedures? Uh, one of them, I think, was an ACL. And that was because uh, she was at Baylor for, as a grad transfer. She used to play at Stanford. And I think I believe it was an ACL, but I'm not 100% sure. Not good. No, obviously not good. And at Bayer, you could tell, like, she just didn't have a lot of explosion off the dribble. But in transition, like, she made a ton of plays in transition. Like, really, really quick hands, really uh, really intelligent um, navigating of ball screens, you know, to, like, getting her on the screen to, to get in position to take a charge when she's beat. Really, really great stuff. I think if you look at who Connecticut has brought in already on the wing, and, and like, Smalls and Wallace, she's, she's a good bet to make the roster. I, I honestly think so. And then Michaela Kelly, explosive scoring point guard, good three-point shooter who I think could thrive in a lower volume role. 
maybe not isn't going to have the edge against Hydeman, but I think she at least has a has a fighter's chance because of her outside shooting ability. So I like I love both the picks honestly. So one thing this team has like desperately needed is a point guard who can penetrate into the paint and finish at the rim. Right. Do you see that in Kelly or is she more of like a two level scorer, you know, the three point line to kind of the mid range? No, I think she's more of a two level scorer at the pro level. I think, I mean, again, she's, she's another smallish guard, smallish combo guard. I think she can run an offense and she will shoot like she will shoot the three both off the ball and if defenders go under the screen. But as far as dribble penetration is concerned and getting to the rim, mm, I don't think it's a sure bet. And just to go over, since we kind of already talked about the Sun in depth in our Outlook episode, the Sun currently have seven of their 11 players that they'll take into the season on roster. And then they have these two draft picks who we just talked about and seven additional training camp contracts to kind of fight for those last four spots, uh, including, I'll just go through, Morgan Birch, Stephanie Jones, Sydney Wallace, Natisha Heideman, Beatrice Mom Premier. Tiana Muldrow, I'm, I'm sorry if I mispronounced it, I don't know who that is, and uh, Kamaya Smalls. So a lot of competition in camp for those last four spots. Yeah, and I don't know if you remember, I said this on the Sun episode, the Sun Outlook episode, what I think they should do in the draft is they should, is they should just load up on positions of need. Because like your starting point guard is set, your starting front court is pretty much set. You're not, you're not going to be doing much there. But as far as looking for players to optimize the rest of your roster, like those are all big question marks. So just bring in a bunch of wings, and whoever may, like whoever makes the most three point shots in camp wins, you know, and that's and that's what Kurt Miller did. So the, that's that's why I love what Connecticut did in the draft. Is there any chance that Carrington beats out Kyla Charles for her spot? No, I don't think so. I, I don't think it's between Carrington and Charles. I think it would be between like Carrington and Smalls or Carrington and Wallace. Kyla Charles, I could see starting. Can you? Me too. I don't see Carrington starting. Okay, that, that's 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 kind of a that's kind of dumbing it down a lot, but. You know, yeah, for me, Charles has shown she showed a lot last year. I think I agree. Um, yeah, I think I don't think she's all. I think she's as much of a lock as you can be without actually being a lock. Did Did you have anything else to say about the the draft as a whole, or uh, any prospects you know that that we didn't hit on on the later rounds, or, or anyone undrafted? You know, a couple things. I a couple things I kind of wanted to talk about. You know, obviously, we, well, for one, for those wondering, we didn't talk about Washington because Washington did not have any draft picks, and Phoenix had one draft pick, which was thirty two, who was not going to make the team anyway. So not really much use in talking about it. One thing I wanted to say is I'm surprised we didn't see more trades. We only saw that one, which is Kennedy Burke for uh, Olia Wilson. And I'm surprised we didn't see more international players selected later in the draft. I mean, granted, there were, thir- there were three international players um, selected in the third round, but I thought there'd be more. Basically because, like I said, you know, the roster spots are just even more hard to, to earn now than they were previously under the new CBA. And... You know, I'm just not a big fan of, of, of taking players. And then you also have to consider, Stephen, that um, with the extra year of eligibility, the NCAA granted uh, its, its players, a lot of them went back to school, which I think is the right decision. You know, I'm not trying to make anyone's decision for them. That's, that's an important call. But with so many players who I had pegged to be like late second or third round picks, I would have expected the WNBA teams to just fill those voids with, with stashes, with international players. Because, I mean, worst case scenario, like, they don't turn into anything. Worst case scenario for an NCAA pick, they don't turn into anything and you wasted a spot. So if by taking an international player, you at least still have their rights down the road. I, I don't know. I don't, of course, know the ins and outs of that. So maybe someone c- can correct me. I just thought we would have seen more more stashes. Whereas, but, you know, a 
third round pick that's uh you know a, a collegiate player like if you decide they're not going to make the team you you don't have their rights anymore like they are exactly free to go wherever they want like best case scenario like, like one of these international players turns out to be a star overseas and, and and you're able to bring her over so like there's not a lot of downside i see to doing something like that but like i said international basketball is not really my thing so maybe well, look at draft question year. is yeah. there a reason to have a third round in the draft I don't know. Is there? It seems like I don't think second so. round players have enough of a hard time making these teams. You know what I mean? Especially now, like it, I keep saying it, but it's under the new CBA. Like there, there are barely even any teams carrying the maximum amount of players, let alone you know enough room for a, a, a legitimate camp shot. Like it is. I, I understand that it's. Um, one thing I will say about this: it's better to be in a camp than to not be in a camp. Because when these players inevitably go overseas, they'll have the experience. They'll be able to put it on their resume. That's a good thing to have. And as well as, you know, to make the connections with, with coaches and with front offices or whatever. Because players can – it can happen where a player impresses so much and the coach says, yeah, dang, you know, we, really, we wish we could have kept you, but it's just not going to work out. But, you know, hey, you know, just between you and I, like so-and-so might not be on the team for the Olympics or whatever. So if you want to come back, like we'll bring you back on a 10-day or whatever, something like that. You know what I'm saying? But beyond that, like the third round is just, yikes. It is so tough. Yeah. Part of me feels like these players would just be better off as free agents where they can, you know, have a true shot to compete if somebody wants to bring them in. Yeah. That's, that's another thing, um, which, which the undrafted players are. So it's, it's kind of, it's kind of a, a strange twist of fate there. Anything else? Should we wrap up? No, let's wrap it up. Cool. Thank you all so much for listening. A few days later than I think probably a lot of the post-draft content as we have our regular release day but hopefully you enjoy it nonetheless and you're not sick of draft content thank you so much eric for for all the insight you provided here uh and kind of bearing with me uh, someone who does not watch college basketball that much and i did watch a couple tournament games and, and they were pretty fun but if you want to support the show please subscribe rate review wherever you get your podcast apple Podcasts, google podcast manager spotify uh tell a friend if you think they might enjoy it eric thank you so much thanks for setting me up i really had a good time preparing for this and, and talking about it. this was it's a big endeavor every year, but it's, it's very worth it to me. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Later.